appropriate that in the background you hear romantic classical music. The pianist is Daniel Pollack and the CD is called First Kiss. And on the CD it says music for love and passion. Harvest time, a time together in. Bethlehem is bursting with the bustle of harvest. So it was that during harvest season, Naomi, in spite of her losses, turned her thoughts toward harvest. How could she harvest security and protection for Ruth? My dearest Ruth, Naomi began. She knew that she must choose her words very carefully so as not to scare the poor girl half to death. My dear daughter, Ruth, I have an idea. I think it's a very good one. It is our custom, and according to the laws of Moses, when a woman's husband dies, her nearest relatives take care of her and take care of the family property. So, I've been thinking about your future. Do you know that Boaz is actually a relative of Elimelech? <laughs> well, anyhow, I want you to do something. Whatever you want, just tell me, replied Ruth. Naomi continued, Tonight everyone is winnowing on the threshing floor. It will be a great night. I want you to go down there and to watch, but don't let anyone see you, not a soul. Watch Boaz. Watch where Boaz goes to bed. After they're done eating and drinking and Boaz goes to bed, I want you to find him and get in bed with him. Ruth's eyes widened. Here's how you do it. Get in the bottom of the bed. Uncover his feet and lay down there. Don't worry. He'll tell you what to do. Now go, get ready. Take a bath. Put on this new perfume I've bought you. Put on your best clothes. Hurry up. Get ready. Poor thing. Ruth was trembling as she took her bath and got ready to go to the threshing room floor. She did bathe. She sat as Naomi brushed out her hair. Some perfume here and there. Finally, she dressed. And for the first time ever, she left Naomi at night. The harvest moon was full. The threshing floor was full of noise and laughter and partying and eating and drinking. Ruth thought they'd never go to bed, and she began to get chilly as she stood in the shadows. Finally, the floor grew quiet, and people began to go to sleep and to snore. Ruth made her way to where Boaz was sleeping. Her heart felt like it would explode. Her whole body was beginning to tremble, and she tried to calm down. There he lay, peacefully. She could hear his breathing. Slowly, Ruth lifted the end of the covers and slipped under them at the feet of Boaz. It was warmer in bed. She pressed against his feet. Boaz woke with a start, and then, what's this? Or, who is this? He almost let out a yell, but he thought better of it. Just how much did I drink last night, he wondered. 
Yet he knew he went to bed alone, as always. Sitting up, he reached down, feeling around, his eyes desperately trying to see something and to make sense of it all. His hands felt her. It was a woman. But who? Who are you? He leaned forward and whispered, still straining to see. I'm Ruth. And he recognized her voice even as she said the words. Ruth? His face broke into a wide grin that she could not see. Ruth, what on earth are you doing here? She could hardly speak for trying to control her nerves. One moment she feared she might actually throw up. Her mind raced as she tried to get the words out. Suddenly she felt like an absolute fool. What on earth am I doing here? How did Naomi talk me into this? She could make out his face in the moonlight. And she said, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your coat over me because you are my close relative. He was smiling. Were his eyes filling with tears? Ruth couldn't tell. My dear girl, dear Ruth, the Lord bless you. My goodness, you truly are special. There are all these men, and they've been watching you. But you find me. Almost twice your age, you find me, and you're so kind to me. You're trembling. Boaz's eyes had cleared, and he could see her fear. Don't be afraid, he reassured her. I will certainly do everything I can for you. I will start tomorrow. But don't you know there is a relative closer than me? Stay here the rest of the night. Be warm. Ruth, you're the best. You really are. Boaz lay down. Ruth did too. His mind raced as he pondered what might happen tomorrow. Would the next of kin take the property of Elimelech and care for it? Would he take Ruth also? He could hardly bear the thought. He could smell her now, and he could feel her there, too. <laughs> there would be no more sleeping tonight, not with all that was on his mind. No sleep for Ruth, either. Her head was spinning, her heart pounding. She wanted to believe it might come true, a life with this gentle man, Boaz. But in another part of her thought, it would never come true. And what about the other relative? Who was he? So they laid there, the two of them, awake and pregnant with thought. Finally, the eastern sky grew light. Very quietly, Ruth arose. Boaz, too, he motioned for her to follow, and she did. When they were far enough away, he warned her not to say anything about this night. She nodded. Then he asked for her shawl, and she took it off and gave it to him, and he filled it with grain, and he tied knots in it and loaded it on her back. Her knees almost buckled with the weight of his generosity. Boaz left for town, and Ruth left for Naomi. Arriving home, Naomi swung the door to the house, opened wide, and welcomed Ruth. She helped, she helped her put down the grain. 
Well, tell me everything, she said. And Ruth did. Naomi smiled and nodded as she listened. When Ruth had finished, Naomi said, Now we wait. Wait, my daughter. Boaz will do as he said. Isn't this story just the best? I love the book of Ruth. And I've asked you to be reading it during these months uh, or weeks of September. How many of you have read through the book of Ruth now? Yeah? Good. How many of you promise I'm going to read through it again at least twice this week? Try it again. I want you to keep reading through it. And we'll wrap up our series on soaring in September uh, next week with chapter 4. It's a great story. On uh, Thursday of this week, I had breakfast in Glendale. And after breakfast was over, at 7 o'clock, I went up Brand Avenue. And I'm sure you all understand that 7 o'clock on Brand Avenue in Glendale, there's the farmer's market. And all the guys are unloading the trucks, and the women are there with flowers. And uh, so I went by, and I picked up some fresh green beans and some tomatoes. I went there for the tomatoes. I love a good tomato. And, you know, when they're vine-ripened, all that stuff, they're just wonderful. And Joyce and I have been enjoying them uh, throughout the week. Now, to make a great meal, you need great ingredients. You can't make a great meal out of rotten food. And it's true of your life as well. If you're going to live your life, and we're talking about soaring in September, reaching our full potential as followers of God, if you're going to do that, you need the right ingredients. There is a good way to build a life, and there's a bad way. And all of us uh, are attempting to go down the best road possible for ourselves and build a great life. In order to build a great life, you need the right ingredients and you need help. And the book of Ruth is so exciting because we have three characters here, Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth, who can be mentors to us in building a great life, in going forward. And we've looked one Sunday at each chapter and gleaned from that. We talked about in chapter 1 the value of loyalty. That's an element that needs to be a part of your life, loyalty. We talked, as we learned from Boaz last time in chapter 2, about compassion. He was a compassionate person. And today, as we talk about soaring in September, I want to talk to you about turning outward. That is, uh, opening yourself up, looking out, and turning out towards others. And I want to talk to you about that from the book of Ruth. Now, you recall what happened to Ruth in chapter 1, and I'll refer that to that in just a moment. Unless you are news illiterate, you know what's happening just a couple blocks away. In that direction, across the street, is City Hall. Now, it's vacant right now, but it'll fill up again next year. And that's really the seat of power in Pasadena. It's not an accident that on either side of City Hall are churches, and across the street from City Hall is All Saints Church. You've heard about All Saints in the news? Yeah. I wrote uh, Pastor Ed Bacon a note and said, we're praying for you and we're standing with you in this issue. The IRS has told the church they may take away their tax-exempt status because of what was said in a sermon. And the church has decided after prayer and consideration that they're not going to respond to the demands of the IRS asking for all this information and really doing very much what the apostles did in Acts 4 and 5 when they said we must obey God rather than men. And I think every church in America probably does or at least should stand with all saints to say it's not right for the government 
to try and censor or monitor what we say from the pulpit. I've read the sermon in question. It's online. You can read it too. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Now, here's the reason I bring that up for two reasons. One is to pray with them on this issue as they stand up for freedom of speech in America. But secondly, to illustrate a point, and that is that if you were to look at Pastor Ed Bacon's calendar at the beginning of September, do you think he had penciled in many days spent with the IRS? I don't think so. If you looked at their council and the men and women who make up their church council, who have been in meeting after meeting, do you think they had penciled in, I'm going to be tied up for a whole week dealing with this issue, and it won't end in a week? No, of course not. They didn't see that coming, and the pastor has said, we really don't want to spend time and money on this issue, but it's in front of us. And I cite that to say that in our lives, we have tragedies, we have trials, we have tribulations, we have trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation or trouble. And every one of you in this room could stand up if I said, share some time in your life when you had an unexpected trial or trouble or tribulation that really hit you hard. I think every one of us could stand up and give a testimony, right? We all have troubles. And this morning, as we talk about soaring in September and keep learning from Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, uh, when we go back to chapter 1, you remember what happened to Naomi, she went off to another land with her husband and two sons. They died there. And there was a ten-year period of this. Her husband died, and then her son died, and then the other son died. And finally she comes back to Bethlehem. And this morning as we begin, and if you'd like to follow along with your notes, I want to remind you that tragedy is temporary. Tragedy is temporary. Troubles are temporary. And let's put that on the screen, and then we'll read this uh, verse together. Tragedies are not terminal. They're temporary. So you can write that down. Tragedies are not terminal. They're not terminal. Your trouble is not terminal. Your trial is not terminal. There will be an end to it. Now, let me read to you from the first chapter to get back into the idea of Naomi and her tragedy. When Naomi came back from her 10-year time in Moab, she had a a big tragedy. She had troubles. And she said this, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And there is a season to recognize, I'm in a time of trouble, or this tragedy has happened. And it's not that we should resist it. You know, we recognize it. Don't discount it. And Naomi did not. Now, she's come home to Bethlehem. And it's a new day. Chapter 1 closes by saying it's the barley harvest. And chapter 3 opens with this harvest scene. And as as Naomi is putting her life back together, back in her homeland, Bethlehem, I think she began to realize... You know, this tragedy, as bad as it was, is not terminal. And Naomi began to turn outward, which leads me to the next thing to glean from this chapter. And that is move out of reaction, move out of reaction to proaction. I don't know if that's a word, but it's a word for today. To be proactive. The scripture says, and this is the way chapter 3 opens, One day, Naomi, 
her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Or some translations say, where you will find security. Or others say, where you will find rest. And the idea is, in spite of Naomi's great loss, and we don't want to minimize that, what's she doing here? She's thinking about somebody else. She's turned away from Naomi's troubles to Ruth. What about this dear daughter-in-law of mine? What about her? And I think also implicit is this, what about Elimelech's property? What's going to happen here? And so Naomi becomes proactive as she turns outward away from her own troubles. And I want to encourage you to think about your life and whether you would say, I've mostly turned inward right now or outward. Now, the Bible says there is a time to mourn. And she certainly had mourned the loss of her sons and her husband. And you may say, well, Steve, uh, I am in a time of trial or trouble or tragedy. When do I know when to turn outward rather than inward? Because we need to do both. And you know what? I can't tell you. God can. But the point is, there will come a time when we move beyond our troubles and tragedies and turn outward. And that's what Naomi does at the start of this chapter. She becomes proactive. Uh, David Schuller and I were talking about this book, and he said, I'm not sure why it's not called the book of Naomi, because she's such a prominent figure here. And in chapter 3, we have this encounter on the threshing room floor. Now, there are four major encounters in this book. In chapter 1, Naomi has had this tragedy, and she decides to go home. And so on the way home, on the highway out of Moab... You remember the scene where there's that classic passage of commitment from Ruth, but the scene is set up as Naomi encounters her daughters-in-law and said, go back to Moab, go home, and may God be kind to you there. And Orpah goes home, Ruth stays. That's the first encounter. In chapter 2, and we learn from that this loyalty of Ruth, in chapter 2 there's the encounter in the field where Ruth goes out to grain and to uh, glean in the field. She encounters Boaz, and he shows kindness to her, or compassion. Now in chapter 3, there's this encounter on the threshing room floor. Now, whether or not you read this in English, or whether you're a scholar and you can read it in Hebrew, this is a very suggestive story, isn't it? Have you read it? I mean, it's kind of fun. I wish I had several more weeks just to read commentaries about how do, what are we supposed to do with this story? And it's just fascinating to see how various writers and commentators have commented on this. Many of them quickly talk about Boaz is like Christ, and they get very spiritual and don't even deal with the, what really happened. But I want to tell you, friend, no matter how you read this story and in what language, there's a lot of sexual innuendo here. It's just there. And we need to recognize it in this counter. It's a fascinating story. I mean, after all, Naomi does tell Ruth to go to bed with Boaz. Now, let's suspend our thinking for a minute. I know this is the 21st century, and we're so highly stimulated in sex, our minds immediately go in the wrong direction. But that is what she told her to do. Also, she says, uncover his leg. The question begs itself, well, just how much leg did she uncover? <laughs> you have to wonder, don't you? And uh, she says, do whatever he tells you. Well, that's not the kind of language you'd hand out to your daughter, w would it be? I don't think so. And so it is a highly sexualized, almost provocative chapter in some ways, right here in good old Ruth chapter 3. You can read it. Now I hope you do want to read it. What are we to make of this? Well, 
I like what one person said, and he said, I think it's actually set up this way because our mind can go in lots of directions. You can say what you want. You can write any commentary you want and say, here's what happened under the covers that night. You can be like one of these books that had six different endings. You know, you can choose the ending you want. But partly this story is vague because the author, as he writes about these people, he wants to encourage us to choose well. And as you think about soaring in September, that's the next thing I want to urge you to write down. People who soar, people who turn outward and do it in a healthy fashion, choose well. They choose well. And what we pick up as we read this, first of all, Boaz chooses well because what's his intention as you read the story? His intention is not sexual. What's he want? He wants to do the right thing by Ruth and Naomi. And so he brings up, and this is a highly charged passage with a lot of legality that we can't get into, but Naomi was actually suggesting a legal solution to Ruth's trouble. And the solution was that in the law, a certain relative should take over Elimelech's property and all the, that's with it, including Ruth, and take care of them because there was a great... Uh, effort to protect that person's property and keep the property in the family. So that's what's behind the scene. And Boaz recognizes that. And he says, you know, I'll be glad to help out, but I'm really not the first in line. And so he brings up this legal matter. Secondly, it says, not only uh, as we talk about choosing well, but he talks about Ruth. And I want to read this scripture from uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, as he describes her. And as we think about the choice this couple made, there alone at night together on the threshing room floor, the author wants us to know these are great people. They make great choices. They actually do the right thing. They choose well. Here's how Boaz describes Ruth. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Everybody knows who you are, Ruth, and you're the best. You always choose well. And then he goes on to, to mention this other kinsman redeemer. Now, as you read through the book of Ruth, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, all three are people of noble character. They are people that you can hold up and say, I want to be like her. He's a great guy. I want to be like him. And they each speak to us in various ways about choosing well. And I want to ask you this morning, how well do you choose your choices in life? This past week, did you always choose well? I have to say, as I've read this chapter today, and this is both the worst and best thing about being a preacher, is I've had to say, Steve, how well did you choose every day of the week? Was every single choice you made the best? No, it wasn't. And this is a great reminder, if I want to have a great life, if I want to soar as God wants us to, I need to learn to choose well, like Boaz, like Ruth, and like Naomi. And so this morning, how well are you choosing? And then the last comment. As you turn outward, you not only choose well, but you need to practice kindness. You need to practice kindness. People who soar. People who are true disciples of Jesus are filled with the love and goodness of God. The Bible says there are three great gifts, faith, hope, and love. I hope we have all three of them, faith, hope, and love. But what's the greatest? It's love. 
And in chapter 1, there's this great word in the Old Testament. The word is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It means loving kindness. And in the first use of the word in chapter 1, Ruth says, girls, Orpah, I keep wanting to say Oprah, Orpah and Ruth, may God's loving kindness be upon you. And Naomi wishes God's kindness towards these girls. In the second chapter, Boaz is a tremendous example of loving kindness on this poor foreign woman, Ruth. And now he mentions Ruth's loving kindness back to him. And this morning, as we look at these characters, each one of them is a person who's wrapped up in God's loving kindness. And as they turn outward, they turn outward to extend loving kindness to others. And isn't that our mission? Isn't that our mission? And this morning, I want to ask you, how are you doing? How's your life? How are your choices? Would anybody describe you as a person filled with loving kindness that you extend to others? Kindness begins at home with the way we treat our kids, our spouses, our friends, those closest to us. Kindness continues as we stop by the dry cleaners and as we get gas and as we're waited upon at the restaurant. Are you a person of loving kindness? I'd like for you to take just about 90 seconds, and Paul, if you don't mind coming and playing in the background, and we're going to give you a moment of silence just to reflect on what the Lord has said to you today through the Scripture, maybe to pray about some of your choices, and then I want to lead us in a concluding prayer in just a moment. But let's take a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes to, to pray. I was thinking about choices this week, I realized I don't always choose the best, but I want to. I want to soar. I want to turn outward in my life and have a heart of kindness. And I'm going to pray in just a moment, but if you would be willing as a, if God's spoken to you and you would say, Steve, I too recognize I've not always made the best choices, but I want to, and I want to soar, as we've talked about soaring like Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. If you want me to pray for you, I'd like for you to just stand where you are, and then I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can sit back down. But if you'd like to be included and just acknowledge that I'm making a a decision, Steve, right here, uh, to make good choices, to turn outward, to be a person of kindness, then I'd invite you to stand with me. The rest of you can continue in an attitude of prayer. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. But this is not about seeing who's standing or not. It's just a, a, a moment to be true to God and to let God speak to us. Anyone else care to stand? Thank you. Lord God, you see our hearts. You especially see those of us who are standing. And 
Today you've challenged us to choose life so that we might live. This morning we thank you for Naomi and her courage to turn outward even after tremendous tragedy, to turn toward a new future. God, give us such courage to face our lives with strong faith in you and courage to turn outward. Lord, thank you for Boaz, a man willing to use his power and influence and relationships for good and God. Help us, O Lord, to use our influence for you, for others, so that your kingdom comes and your will be done on earth. Lord, we thank you for Ruth, who chose well, who was so remarkable in her loyalty to her mother-in-law and eventually to you. Lord, we do think of our sisters and brothers at All Saints Church, and we lift them up before you that you might help them and guide them each step of the way of this journey. We pray that their eyes might be focused on you and not the distractions around them, and that you would provide. We thank you for the freedom we have to preach and to teach and witness in this country, and we pray for the protection of that freedom. God, we admit that we have not always made the best choices. We are sorry, and we seek your forgiveness. Thank you that you've promised that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ask you to help us make the right choices today as we leave, tomorrow as we go about our lives, and from now on. Give us the resiliency of Ruth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.